Uh, well, if you're just tuning in online, uh, today is Father's Day, and so just a question for all you dads out there. Have you gotten your daily quota of eye rolls yet? I know some of you are especially skilled at this, but for me, and I know for a lot of us, it's like we want to just push the buttons of our kids until we get like this eye roll out of them. And then we know we've done our job for the day, right? Like that's our number one fatherly duty is to at least get some sort of eye roll out of one of our kids. Some of you are better at that than others. I work on it. I'm a work in progress. Uh, my wife can attest to that. Um, but there's this other side to eye rolls, and you'll get this more in the teenage years and beyond. It's the critical eye rolls, the ones you're not trying for, and those are the ones that can sting the worst, maybe. Today, as we continue our journey through Nehemiah's life, we're going to look at this topic called criticism. And I know I told you this story a few years ago, but I'm assuming most of you forgot it or maybe you weren't here. So I'll tell you just a real quick recap of a story I've told previously. And this is a story that takes me back 12 years to when I was first a pastor out in the field. Um, my first place to serve was this, uh, it wasn't even a church. They said, you're going to go to this place in Colorado and start a new church. And so I went there. Um, we set up our, our core group. We had our website because every church needs a website. We got a place to worship. We even had a storefront that we could worship out of in a little strip mall. And so we got everything up and running. We're maybe five, six months in when we're, we're gathering for worship on a Sunday morning. And I notice a new person walk through the door. Um, she was maybe 50, 60 years old. She had a Bible in her hand, which kind of tells you a lot when someone walks into church for the first time with a Bible. I'll let, I'll let that you figure out if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But she was walking in with this Bible, and I knew she was new, so I'd go up, and I did this remarkable thing that, you know, only really strategic mission pastors know what to do. I introduced myself to her. I said, hi, you look new. My name is Matt. I'm, I'm the pastor here. Just wanted to say welcome. Anything I can do for you? And she kind of stood back a little bit. She looked at me with this confused look, and she said, you're the pastor here? I said, yeah. She said, well, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 26. And I'll never forget her response. She looked at me in the eye, and she said, that's not good. You should have an older pastor who can mentor you, who can coach you. And she went on and on. And, and for, for the life of me, I don't know why I responded this way, but tr truth be told, this is how I honestly responded. I said, I'm actually 26 and a half. <laughs> I really did say that to her. I'm 26 and a half. And then I went on to say how I'd gone through college. I, got a, um, I went through the seminary. I had a year of internship. I, for some reason, I felt like I had to defend myself to her. But inevitably, she just walked out without even, you know, staying for the church service. And, you know, as I think back at that, I'm like, man, if I had that same interaction today, I would be so much quicker. I could say so many things back to her. You know, like she had a Bible in her hand. And I said, Maybe you should just go home and meditate on 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 for a while. And after you look at that, you know, that was the Apostle Paul talking to a young pastor. Don't, look at, don't let anyone look down on you for being young. Maybe you should meditate on that and come back next week. And, you know, I, I could come up with all sorts of snarky things, but I wasn't that snarky back then. I'm kidding, I was. I'm just, <laughs> I learned to filter it more as I get older. But, it, but maybe you have an experience like this. Now, I could tell you, oh, I didn't let it get to me. It was just this thing. I could tell you all that, but here's the, <laughs> the thing you already know. 
I can tell you that story in vivid detail 12 years later. Who was it that criticized you? And now you just can't shake that account. You can still remember what they were wearing, what they were holding, what they were saying the day that they criticized you or they criticized what you were doing. As we get into Nehemiah 4 today, it's all going to center around this topic of criticism. And in my extensive research for today's message, I looked into criticism and I actually stumbled upon a way to be rid of criticism and not to experience it ever. And this took me all the way back to a few centuries even before Christ was born. But this is from Aristotle himself. At least it's attributed to him. He said criticism is something we can easily avoid. You never have to go through it again. It's something we can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. It's that simple. So just go home, say nothing, do nothing, be nothing, and the only people who will criticize you are the people in your house who say it's time to move out of the basement and go do something. Well, here's the thing. We talked about this last week. When you're moved by the love of Christ to do something, you're going to be unsatisfied, unsatisfied doing nothing. It will compel you to do something, to say something, to be someone. So here's what we know going forward. As, as we look at this, and, and another thing is, you know, with, with the way our church is, we're not satisfied doing nothing and saying nothing and being nothing because we have the greatest news that this world has ever known. Jesus Christ was suffered, on, suffered on the cross for our sins. He took away the punishment that we should have paid to God, and he gave us freedom and forgiveness in its place. That's a pretty cool message. And that's a message that changes people's eternities and their lives. It pushes us, it compels us to do things, to say things, to be people that make an impact. So here's the sure thing that we can work with. Yeah, it is possible to avoid criticism, but if you're a follower of Christ, criticism is unavoidable. First thing I want you to remember from today, criticism is unavoidable if, for those who follow Christ. It will be a part of your life, and it will be a part of a church, too. If your church does anything, is anything says anything, it will be a natural way to attract criticism from others. Now, in case I start to ramble too much or you kind of get lost in the message, here's where we're going by the end. As we look at Nehemiah's story of how he handled criticism, this is actually something that leads to a deep, deep spiritual issue. And if you don't learn how to deal with criticism, it can derail the cause or the mission that God has set before you. And when it comes to us as a church, we have this cause, this mission of leading people to Jesus. And if we don't know how to deal with criticism, we can be derailed from that mission very quickly. Now, we could, there's books written about criticism. I was just so excited for this message because there's all sorts of different things we could pull into it. The way we're going to approach this is we're just going to follow Nehemiah's story because the way he receives criticism and what he does with it is such a good model for us individually and as a church. Now, in case you're just now tuning in, this is the third part. We've been talking about Nehemiah for a while. So here's what you need to know about Nehemiah before we talk about how he received criticism. Nehemiah was a Jewish man, but he was, through some way, he, he rose up to be cupbearer 
to the prince of, sorry, the king of Persia, who had control over the entire land. And it was in that position, we saw last week, how he was able to move on something that broke his heart. Nehemiah, though he was 800 miles away from Jerusalem, he had a heart for that city because that was the historical capital for his people, the Jews. And its walls were in ruins. The city was a laughingstock. He was moved to go and help rebuild the wall. And because he was cupbearer to the king of Persia, he not only had the king's permission, but now, as we saw last week, he had the kingdom's resources to back him up. So he showed up, and last week we saw how he came to Jerusalem. He set out the plan. He got the work together. And now work has started, and the, the, the wall is being rebuilt. But when we get to chapter 4, here's where the story takes a big twist. And here's where we see Nehemiah having to deal with, an, with a level of criticism that you have probably never had to face before. Here's how his story continues. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, Nehemiah talking first, first person, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed, he criticized the Jews and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. So he's gathering people together. He says, you guys need to hear me out. I've got something on my heart I just need to tell you. I'm angry, I'm upset. I need to ridicule these people. So he gathers all these leaders from, from around the area. He gathers the army. And he says, you need to hear this. Here's what he told them. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Pay attention to what he's, what he's asking here. Will they have the ability, these withered people, he's, he's, uh, feeble means like a withered plant. Will they have even the ability to rebuild this wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Which was a way of saying, will they actually get to the point where they finish the wall and can celebrate its completion with a sacrifice? Do they have the endurance to finish this? Will they finish in a day? Because let's face it, after a day, they're just going to give up. They don't have the capacity for this. They don't have the ability. They don't have the endurance. They don't have the capacity can they bring the stones? He's just using um, big words here. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? They have set upon this impossible task. What are they doing? What are they thinking? Can they actually do this? This is too big for them, way too big for them. And maybe you've seen this too when someone is like publicly criticizing someone else. Maybe it's even like a close group of friends. And you're like, oh, can you believe so-and-so? Why are they doing that? What are they doing? What often happens is the person next to them steps it up a notch. Like, oh, yeah, I know what you mean. It's so bad that, and, and it turns out that um, Sanballat had someone next to him who was that guy. So next to Sanballat, there's a guy named Tobiah the Ammonite. And he said, what they're building, even a fox climbing up onto it would break down their wall of stones. It is so ridiculous what they're trying to do. Even a fox could t take it down. I hope a bird does not land on it. It would just go kaboom. So they're ridiculing them. They're belittling them. And here's where I want to connect this to you real quickly. Would you just think to how Sanballat approached this criticism, this ridicule of the people? He never made a single statement of fact. 
he's asked, he, all he did was he asked a lot of questions. How will they rebuild? Will they have the ability? Will they have the endurance? Will they have the capacity? His line of questioning really unfolds for us what, where a majority of criticism comes from when, it, when you receive it or even if you give it. Most of criticism comes because the criticizer doesn't have all the information. You've, you've said this before. When you've criticized someone else or maybe an organization, you've said, I just don't understand how they could do that. I, have, I don't have any idea why they're doing what they're doing. I just don't understand how they could spend money that way. Can you believe it? You, you don't make any statement of fact. You're just exposing that you don't know the whole story. So what does that mean then if someone is criticizing you? Well, they're criticizing that they don't know your whole story. And what does it mean when you criticize someone else? Where, where it really is the problem? Is it not in me for not knowing them and not knowing why they do what they do? Just a side note on criticism, but really important to remember that criticism is often founded in ignorance. You don't know them. You don't know why. And so you criticize what you do not know. So how do you respond to this? You see, Nehemiah, he had this just cause. He wanted to honor God through rebuilding this this wall in Jerusalem. And now he was just being ridiculed and criticized by the enemies around him. So how would you respond? A couple ways we could respond is is this. Number one, this is what I normally do, and this is what I kind of... I was tempted to do with, you know, the, the woman who said I was no good to be a pastor. We often want to criticize that person right back. You say I'm too young to be a pastor. Well, you know, we're trying to grow a church here, and you're kind of too old. So, you know, you can just go find another one. Mm. I've been thinking about this for 12 years. I've got a bunch of lines I could have said. We push that criticism right back onto them. I don't understand how you could spend your money on that. Oh, yeah? Well, look at those shoes, darling. How much were those? We just want to shift that criticism right back onto them. And what do we do if we do that? All we do is we legitimize the reason for their criticism. You don't know me, but you can say bad things about me. I don't know you, but I can criticize you. All you do is legitimize their criticism of you if you respond with criticism. But it feels good, doesn't it? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Another thing we could do with criticism, we could just soak it all in like a sponge. Just kind of take it in, take it in. Internalize it. Throw it in the slow cooker in our heart. Just let it ruminate. You know, let it, you know, slow cook. And it just builds up and builds up and builds up. And nothing ever good comes when you just internalize criticism without somehow... (laughs) expressing it or dealing with it. So if you are going to be criticized, and if you're a follower of Christ, you will be criticized. You need to be able to deal with it in a good way. What we're going to see from Nehemiah is that he dealt with it. How he dealt with it might be questionable, but his direction, his what for how he did it is worth taking note of. Here he is receiving this criticism, and in verse 4, it just jumps into this prayer. He doesn't even set it up. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. He did not react by throwing criticism back at Sanballat. He did not respond by just venting to the people around him because that would have been poison for them. 
he reacted by taking this criticism and bringing it to his God in heaven. Hear us, God. We're being criticized. I bring this matter to you. And before you think that Nehemiah was some superhero of a believer, the rest of his prayer is not so sanctified. This is what he said. Turn their insults back on their own heads. I'm sure there was an echo where he was saying this. Heads, heads, heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Make them like a a land that's just been stripped of all of its strength and power. And now anyone can come in and just pick at it like vultures. Do not cover up their guilt. This is going pretty far. Or blot out their sins from your sight. In other words, what he's saying is what they've done is unforgivable. Judge them. Don't give them any chance. No mercy, no forgiveness. Just destroy them. And commentators have looked at this and they try to justify what Nehemiah is saying. You know, oh, he's just saying that um, Sanballat and these other guys are enemies of God. And and therefore, you know, Nehemiah is justified in, in asking for this. I think that Nehemiah was just ticked off. He was angry. He was upset. And he shows that in this last phrase he says. He, he says, do this not because they insult you, God. He says, do this because they're insulting the guys on the front wall, the, on the builders. Nehemiah was just angry. He was just ticked off. And instead of throwing that anger back on his criticizers and instead of letting it be poison to the people around him, at least... He he directed that criticism just back to God. And here's two things you can learn from that. Number one, God can handle your anger. You look through the book of Psalms, you see David and others just in this unsettledness, in this anger, in this uncertainty. And they're, they're using very strong words of judgment against enemies. And you know what? God can handle it. The people around you probably can't. The enemies that are criticizing you, it will do you no good to put criticism back on them, but God alone can handle the raw emotions that are on your heart when you are being criticized for a mission that belongs to God. Direct it to him. He can handle it. Second thing to remember is God is actually honored when you do that. When you take your raw emotions and say, God, I need to process this, but I just need to throw it on you. My enemies are really giving me some trouble Deal with them. Do something. God is honored when you bring him prayers that show your raw emotions and hearts because when you open up in that way to him, it's then that you have an opportunity to look more objectively about what is really going on. As we'll see in a moment, this gave Nehemiah a unique opportunity to recenter his heart in a way that otherwise wouldn't have happened if he would just have criticized back or vented to the people around him. But this is how it continued. So Nehemiah 4, verse 6, after Nehemiah had prayed, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. All their heart. Um, They were committed in their heart. And here's the thing. The reason why they were able to do this with all their heart was because they took that moment to take this criticism and to put it back to God. When you do that, it allows you to think, well, what is it? that I'm doing? What are they criticizing about me? Is it the way I'm doing things? Because I could always do things in a better way. But then it goes a step deeper. Why am I doing these things? 
When you redirect criticism back to God, it allows you to be even more established in why you're doing what you're doing, even if what you're doing needs to be realigned. So uh, second thing to remember, deal with criticism by redirecting it to God. That's where it needs to start. And this will push you in one of two directions. One, double down where you're at and keep doing what you're doing. Or two, you know what, as I think about this with God, maybe this wasn't the best idea. But Nehemiah, as he goes through this exercise, he doubles down. He says, what we're doing is a good work. This is for God's glory. What we do might need to be revised, but why we're doing it and our mission here is absolutely solid. So the story goes on. Unfortunately, this inner working of, you know, redirecting things to God, sometimes this will be the end of the story for us when it comes to handling criticism. We'll be done with it and the criticism goes away. But for Nehemiah, this only made things worse. Here's what happened with him. Verse 7, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, you know the Arabs, uh, the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod, those wonderful people of Ashdod, when they heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. Lots of biblical history and geography history going on in this verse, which would have made sense to people reading this in Nehemiah's day. So I, I kind of restructured this verse just to fit in line with the time we have here. This is basically what he was saying. Next slide. When their neighbors who were to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west heard what was going on, they were very angry. Literally, as you look at these four groups that he just referenced, they're to the north, they're to the south, they're to the far, um, get my geography straight, they're to the far east uh, across the Jordan River. And then the people, people of Ashdod were close neighbors to the west, very strategically located. People all around were criticizing Nehemiah and the Jews. It's a lot of anger being directed your way. Here's what happened because of their anger. All these people around them plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we redirected it to God. We prayed to our God and being made sure that what we were doing was right, we posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We took appropriate action while recommitting this to God. We took appropriate action while recommitting this to God. There was a threat that they responded to. Now, unfortunately, in, in the next few verses, we're going to see things just get worse and worse and worse. Trouble comes from all over, and we're going to see it come from many places. And as we go through these next three verses, I want you to keep this in mind. Criticism can come from a number of places. Sometimes it's an accidental form of criticism. Sometimes it's very on purpose. But each one is an invitation to get you focused on the wrong thing. Here's the first thing that happened in, in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah, the Jews there, said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. They were basically criticizing Nehemiah. He didn't plan this out very well. Um, we could go further, but next week we'll really focus on this internal conflict that can happen. But again, Nehemiah is like, okay, what are we here for? What are we trying to do and why? 
There were so, so many different ways he could have forgotten what was really at stake here. Verse 11, also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to their work. The threats continued even, even though Nehemiah had brought this to God and redirected it to him. The, the threats just continued and continued. And again, another criticism is another invitation to put the focus in the wrong place. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And finally, verse 12, Then the Jews who lived near our enemies came and told us ten times over. It wasn't just a, hey, we sent an email, could you please look into this? This was over and over and over and over again. Multiple times they said, wherever you turn, they will attack. You guard the north wall, they'll attack the south. You guard the west, they'll attack the east. It doesn't matter where you turn. They will attack us because they are all around. You see, criticism really has one motivation, and that is to drive you to fear. Because if criticism drives you to fear, fear can paralyze you from doing what you're doing. So what would Nehemiah do? Bad news coming from all around him. Here's what he did. He said, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, places where they were weak, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. He analyzed the situation. He said, we need to prioritize and execute a plan right away to address this threat. And then he posted the people where they needed to be posted. Sometimes when, when criticism comes your way, it highlights an issue or a weakness that you need to prioritize and execute right away. And after he had done this, he gathered the people together and he said to them, verse 14, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, I love this, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Them, they, they are very set on making us afraid by pointing out all of our shortcomings, our inabilities, our inconsistencies, all the things that we can't do. They're good at pointing that out, but don't let that make you afraid. Nehemiah could have gone on, you know what, truth, truth is, guys, we don't have the ability to do this. We don't have the endurance to do this. This is way beyond our scope and way beyond my pay grade to lead this kind of a group towards such a massive pro project. Our enemies are ridiculing us, and they've got valid reasons to, but they're forgetting one thing. God. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, go back wherever you go, and fight for your families and your homes. Don't be afraid of the critics. Remember the Lord. I love this. We as a church, we get to come together around a mission and a vision of simply leading people to Jesus. And it's like, okay, God is kind of for that, so we know he's on our side for things. And no matter what criticism might come about why we do things or how we do things, we can evaluate and, and make things better always. But why we're doing what we're doing is unstoppable. 
We want to lead people to Jesus and share timeless truth in a timely way. You see, when you have a promise from God to hang on to, that's what you need to remember when criticism comes your way. They're right. I am unable. I am incompetent. I don't have the capacity. But remember God. He does. Because of this promise he made and because he is for this, we will move forward and depend on him to cover our inabilities and our inadequacies. Remember the Lord and how great he is and how awesome. And fight for the people around you because we're all gathered around the same cause. So here's how it continues for Nehemiah, verse 15. As uh, when our enemies had heard that we were aware of their plot, and I, I love how he says this, and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. When we were aware of what they were planning, and then he could have said, when I, Nehemiah, strategized a way around it. No, he says, God frustrated it. If it wasn't for God's promise to do amazing things to the Jewish people, Nehemiah would have said, well, we might as well just give up. But Nehemiah stands there and said, because God gave us this mission and this promise, we can stand here and say that he's the one who frustrated their plans and has kept us to this day. For you as individuals, for us as a church, criticism is unavoidable. It will happen. We can deal with criticism by redirecting it to God. But if it keeps coming and coming and coming, what is so important is that we need to deal with criticism by remembering God. Number three on your sheets. We need to deal with criticism by remembering God. And in the process, as you think through criticism and bring it in and what people are saying, as you remember God, it will only make you stronger with whatever cause he has placed before you. It will only make you more resolute as you are given more and more opportunities to remember that your God is for bringing people to Jesus. It can only make your cause stronger. So as we close up here, there's this one last thing I want to drop your way. And I hope this has been helpful so far. If you've been dealing with criticism in a certain area of life, uh, maybe you've been handling it but not really dealing with it in a healthy way. You've got two ways that you can go home today and put that into practice. There's this one last deep spiritual issue behind criticism and why it's so important for us to deal with it in those two ways. And to get to that last thing, here's Nehemiah 4 verses 16 and 18. It says from Nehemiah's perspective, from that day on, he changed the way he did things. He revised his plan, although his mission stayed the same. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. Each of the builders wore a sword at his side as he worked. He revised his plan, but he did not give up the movement. He did not give up the cause. So important for us, too. Don't be so married to what you do. Be absolutely committed to why you're doing it. But it's okay to change and revise how you do it. And that leads us into this last part, this last little point here. Um, every time you receive criticism from someone, it's, it's really an invitation to change the authority of why you do it. Every criticism is an invitation to change your personal authority for why you're doing what you're doing. 
For example, if, if you take criticism from someone else and you just say, okay, what you said is valid, I'm going to change, you've now made that person the authority for why you're doing what you're doing. You've just exchanged them, and the silly thing is, you've taken someone who doesn't know your story, and they don't know everything about you, and they've leveled criticisms at you, and now you've put them in control. But there's another side to this coin, too. You see, every compliment you receive, you can easily do the same thing with that person. They can compliment it. Wow, you're really doing things great. I I love what you're doing, but they might not know why. And you might take their compliment and say, you know what, I'm going to do more of my what to please you, and you've just made that person the authority for why you do what you do. So that all comes down to this. This is a quote I found. I I wasn't able to figure out who the first author of it was, so I'll just tell you it wasn't my idea. But number four on your sheet is this is the deep spiritual part of it. Do not let criticism get to your heart, and don't let compliments go to your head. Every criticism is an invitation to change the authority for why you do what you do. Don't let someone else take that spot. That belongs to God alone. He and his love compels you to do what you do. That might mean you revise plans. You might change wh- how you do things, but why you do them doesn't change. The what might change, but the why doesn't. Because here's what we know. Individually, as a church, you could do nothing, say nothing, be nothing, and everyone would be okay with you. But the love of Christ compels us to do something and to say something, to share the greatest message this world has ever known. And because of that, it's only a matter of time until criticism comes your way. And when that happens, step one, redirect that to God. Let him take you through that exercise of evaluating what you're doing and why you're doing. And let him be that sole authority. And if that criticism continues, it'll be an exercise for you daily to remember God. Remember who it is that dictates why you do what you do. And as as you deal with uh, the opposition around you individually or even as a church, you'll get better at that and God can grow you through that. But there's an even perhaps bigger enemy that we haven't talked about yet. And that is the enemy within you or within an organization or within even a church. The enemy within that seeks to destroy through something even worse than criticism. We'll pick up there next week as we talk about the enemy within and how God enables us to overcome it.